You're listening to From the Front Lines, a special podcast from WUFT during the COVID-19 pandemic. This podcast provides daily updates on Florida's response to coronavirus with a particular focus on North Central Florida. In addition to news and important information, From the Front Lines will feature a member of the community who is working to keep the community safe or running during these challenging times. Hello, I'm your host Ryan Vasquez and this is From the Front Lines. Here are the most recent COVID-19 numbers from around the state. Alachua County has recorded its second death related to COVID-19. According to the latest data from the State Department of Health, there are 251 positive cases of coronavirus in the county. Positive case numbers in the North Central Florida region include 267 in Clay County, 151 in Marion County, and 97 in Citrus County. Statewide, there are more than 31,500 positive cases of the coronavirus and are reported 1,074 deaths. The City of Gainesville is proposing changes to housing and community development funding plans in order to support local relief efforts. Due to the executive orders issued in response to the COVID-19 crisis, several projects have experienced delays in startup or completion. The amendments would enable the city to distribute roughly $1.2 million in funds to the GNV CARES local recovery effort. The proposed amendments will be considered today during a virtual public meeting. Governor Ron DeSantis says the statewide problem with unemployment claims were inevitable. During a press conference in Orlando Sunday, Governor DeSantis said the $77 million flawed system was not designed for hundreds of thousands of claims at a moment's notice, and it was bound to crash. This has been a, um, a tsunami that this system was not built for. And look, this system is, is a bad system, and it was overpriced. And I don't know why they paid that much money for it, but I would also say even if you built a perfect system, Six months ago, no one would sit down and say, well, you should maybe plan on the economy just voluntarily ceasing. The governor says the state brought in 100 new servers to expand the filing capacity. Some people have now gone more than a month without benefits. Long-term care facilities have asked for liability coverage in certain COVID-19-related lawsuits. During Friday's reopening task force meeting, Spring Hill Republican Senator Wilton Simpson said he thinks they should make sure they are in compliance with all regulations. We've heard a lot about litigation. Um concerns to to these groups because they're treating our most vulnerable patients. I would suspect that the state uh, would have no mercy on folks who are not doing what they are supposed to be doing or should be doing. And if you are in one of these facilities of critical care, you need to get your generators in place. Um, Hurricane season starts June the 1st. Long-term care facilities are required to have permanent generators installed. The law was put into place after 14 residents of a South Florida nursing home died when the nursing home lost power during Hurricane Irma. The reopening task force worked throughout the weekend to send recommendations to Governor DeSantis. The Florida Department of Health is calling on health care providers to temporarily reactivate inactive licenses. The department says the providers, including doctors, physician assistants, nurses, emergency medical technicians, and paramedics, can reactivate their licenses for 90 days. The licenses will return to inactive status as the coronavirus pandemic eases and the state surgeon general determines the urgent need for health care providers has passed. Healthcare providers must initiate a request through the State Department of Health. The offer does not apply to those whose licenses have been suspended or restricted. The COVID-19 pandemic has forced many people to get acquainted with working remotely. For some professions, like teaching, that process can be more difficult than others. Most K-12 teachers in the state had the length of spring break to reconfigure classroom curriculums to online instruction. WUFT's Anthony Montalto spoke with three teachers from around the state to see how they adapted, improvised, and ultimately overcame obstacles quickly to keep their students on track. 
you don't have that human conduct anymore. And, you know, as teachers, you want to make sure that you're reaching the students at their core. It's not necessarily just teaching them content. Like, that's not what you go into teaching for. That's Emma Light. She's a 10th grade English teacher at Santa Fe High School. And like many other teachers around the state, she's in uncharted territory. You're not just excited waiting for a student to remember that you taught them, you know, to read a certain sentence a certain way. It's because it changes the structure of how they think about moving through the world and you're not getting that anymore. Instead, Light is in a new world, one of countless email notifications, constantly answering messages, and making phone calls to parents of those students she can't communicate with. It's been difficult to get a hold of some families. And if you do get a hold of some families, they're not always completing the work for all of their classes. Diana Parfait says she's had a similar experience. She's also a 10th grade English teacher. She teaches at Gainesville High School. I always come from the perspective of reach out and concern. Is everything okay? I'm just worried. I haven't heard back from you. Never from the scolding of why aren't you doing your work? If you reach out with that attitude of concern, they're always more likely to respond, even if it's, I'm sorry, Ms. Parfait, I just haven't been doing it. And Emil Kadam, a 6th and 7th grade science teacher at McNichol Middle School in Broward County, is feeling the same. I worry about the ones that I'm not hearing from. He says a majority of his students are turning in their work consistently, that their work is good, and that his students' families are supportive. But he says distance learning doesn't pair well with his normal teaching style. I depend a lot on my body language up up at the room and just kind of moving around and and I think I'm fairly animated with the kids um and this has put me in a position where I feel like almost like my hands are tied it can sometimes be hard to convey messages online I can't use the thing that I feel like I'm best at which is being up in front of the class and moving around and and looking at what they're doing. But even though he can't be in front of his classes every day, he's still trying to teach the kids in a fun way. Here he is talking about some assignments he gave last week. But one of them was a very light, kind of a fun, it was a Mythbusters video, and it had to do with elements, reactive elements, which we've been talking about. But it was literally watch it, answer a few questions. So they had something a little bit heavier and then something that I hoped would be light and easy. He said getting used to teaching online had a learning curve. I started out like, you know, I guess you could say like gangbusters. I'm like, okay, I'm going to just, we're going to just pick up where we left off here. And I think for my seventh graders, I was giving, um, oh, I was given like three assignments. It wasn't like the sort of thing I would, my goal was to give them something that if they put their mind to it, they could have it done within an hour to an hour and a half of work per day. And Kadam says he's still learning, but Light says her students have been using online platforms all year to complete assignments. She's using Google Classroom, Zoom, and more to communicate and teach. I also have the Remind app. My students can text me through that too. So usually I'm just responding to those Remind messages and my email and classroom, Google Classroom comments all day. She's also sticking to a pretty strict schedule, complete with a 45-minute daily Zoom call for students to pop in and ask live questions, helping her students to learn. How to create different poetry styles. For me, as an English teacher, it's giving them a creative outlet. I think right now students are struggling with how to process their thoughts, so having them write creatively is allowing them to think about that. Here's a bit more about her schedule. On Monday morning, whenever school, quote-unquote, starts or would have started is whenever I post an assignment for the week. 
So that way students, if they want to, they can actually complete all of my work on that Monday after I post it. And she also does a bit more with it. I give them an assignment for the week, but on the actual assignment page, I break it up into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. My hope is that they're looking at it as, okay, I can do Monday's work on Monday, and that will help them pace themselves. And in Parfait's class, she's using tech to take attendance. Each week, she asks her students a fun question. This week, it's your favorite group, you know, band or song. And she's using tech to teach. Zoom is the software of choice to discuss Life of Pi with her 10th graders. Once a week, we meet and we discuss the book and go over questions they have and kind of it's not quite the same because I'm missing their faces, especially now that pretty much they're all turning off their cameras because they're rolling out of bed. From the Front Lines is a production of the Innovation News Center at the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. Thank you to our producers, Taylor Levesque, Daniela Mora, Anthony Montalto, Josh Williams, Melissa Fato, and Cameron Lund. Also, thanks to our fellow Florida public media stations for their contributions to this podcast. And a special thank you to Matt Abramson and Craig Lee for their work behind the scenes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have a story to share with From the Front Lines, please contact WUFT on Facebook or Twitter, or send an email to news at WUFT.org. That's news at WUFT.org. Join us tomorrow for another edition of From the Front Lines. I'm your host, Ryan Vasquez, and of course, thanks for listening.